Welcome to the First Damn Football Show. I am your host, Tobias Brown. And folks, we're back. Logan, how are we doing today, man? Uh, we're doing better. Logan, why don't you introduce our guest today? Because we have brought on what Logan describes as a somewhat encyclopedia of football. So, Logan, who we got walk today? In, yep, walk-in ESPN app, football guru of random college football and NFL knowledge. We got Luke Farrell joining us today. Luke, what's up, man? How are we doing? What's up, guys? Man, you guys are too kind. Logan, I don't know about an encyclopedia, but, man, just excited to get to talk college football, NFL. Um, definitely a passion of mine. Looking forward to uh, breaking down some games from this past weekend and overall just looking looking ahead of the season. So so let's, let's get right into it with this Ohio State game. You told us off the record you were at the Buckeye game this weekend. Um, you know, this was a game that I told people – I know the Buckeyes have a way better offense. I know Spencer Petras and Iowa's offense is a joke, and it proved to be a joke. The offense only put up a field goal. But that defense, I know the final score was 54 to 10, but watching it on TV, that defense is legit. They're disciplined. They're sound. And I, this game was closer than the score indicated. Did it feel closer than the score tells us when, you know, live at the stadium? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, Toby, 100%. The defense this year compared to last year, it's night and day. Um, there was definitely a different buzz. Um, to put in perspective, last year, uh, I was at the – actually, was at the Oregon game, uh, which was an absolute heartbreaker. Defense looked like Swiss cheese. It was a horrible, horrible game to be at. Um, and this year, even though it was against a putrid offense, um, a very, very lackluster offense in Iowa, you could just tell and see that difference. Uh, you could feel that difference. Um, the intensity, no doubt, is there. Jim Knowles has done an incredible job of just, I think, overhauling the entire, not just defensive culture, but the entire program culture. Um, I just think there's that smash mouth, just, you know, just crushing, um, just like absolutely electric defensive atmosphere and um, you know, we talk about the silver bullets defense. I think it's finally back for Ohio State. Um, it's just that culture that we've come to know, you know, basically the entire you know, the entirety of Ohio, in Ohio State football history, um, just known for that suffocating defense. And it's it's exciting, man. It's exciting. The game, um, while Iowa did take, you know, a seven to three lead off that scoop and score from CJ, um, it still never really felt like the game was out of hand for Ohio State. Um but just electric uh, defense is just locked in. The intensity is just a whole different level this year. So, Logan, what, what did you think of the Buckeyes' performance? I The one thing that I felt really good about is even when the offense wasn't perfect, they still put up 47 points as an offensive unit. Logan, what did you feel after this game? I was just relieved we can finally have a game to do some comparison with. I'm, I'm tired of the early comparison of Ohio State, Michigan, Who's better? All oh, no one's really played anyone. And, you know, I mean, there's some truth to some of that. But I'm glad that we have a game now where we can see how each team did with Iowa. Uh, Grant and Michigan was on the road at Hawkeye Stadium. So I'll give them the benefit of that. But, dude, Ohio State blew them out of the water. And when you look at the stat line, it's a long stat line. And just that's just because of the depth that Ohio State has in that offense. Even if, like, Henderson or Williams are down in the running game, dude, Darren Hayden is a dog. I mean, Dallin Hayden, my bad. He, he's going to be amazing. He's only a freshman. He's a true freshman, and I love him. Every time he comes in, I feel fully confident just as if the starter was in. 
um, wide receiver room, super deep, um, tight ends, even Kyle McCord, dude. Like, if anything ever happened to C.J. Stroud, Kyle McCord comes in cool collected, and I think he would take over just as well. But talk about that defense, man. I love the stat line for Petrus, um, a 5.9 QBR. That is worse than Justin Fields with the Bears or Baker Mayfield this year. So, um, yeah, you hate to see it, but that's a rough stat line. And only rushed for 77 yards. So, yeah, that defense definitely just suffocated them. And it's glad to see Ohio State has made such an improvement on their defense. I think the Jim Knowles impact he's had year one is um, amazing. And it's honestly crazy to think what he can do once he has a little bit more time with that defense. You know, and the one thing that really stood out to me, too, you talked about the receiver room. Nine different guys caught a pass in this game. And Julian Fleming led the team in receiving yards. You know, we hear all about Marvin Harrison Jr., Jackson Smith and Jigba, Igmeka Ibuka, Julian Fleming putting out a nice performance. So the Buckeyes, um, I know here lately, our TikTok, we've been getting a lot of hate. Why do you have the Buckeyes at two? Who have they beaten? Well, folks, let me, let me break this down real quick. There's only one team in the country. And the only reason we keep Georgia at one is because of the defending national champs. Until they lose, it's almost a respect thing. You have to keep them there. 100%. There's only one other team in college football right now, I think even holds a candle to Ohio State, and that's Tennessee. Outside of everybody else, I mean, Michigan can control the clock with that running game, but their quarterback play is pretty bad. Alabama, they don't have defensive backs. They don't have a pass defense. Like, put their Swiss cheese secondary up against this receiving core with Ohio State, and it's it's not going to be pretty. Now, Alabama can score, but they're not going to be able to score enough. So – let's just stop. You know, I, we've had people tell us, Oh, Clemson, Clemson, let's look at Clemson. Clemson had to bench their quarterback to come from behind to beat Syracuse. Now I know I have sung the praises of Syracuse and I have told you that Syracuse is the second coming of the 1972 Miami dolphins, but it's Syracuse. And if you're a true national title contender, this should have been a game that Clemson at home dominated. They won 27, 21, and, you know, Luke, I want to ask you, because you are a guy who's big into 24-7, and really what turned the table for Clemson was bringing in true freshman Cade Klubnick, who was a five-star coming out of Texas. What do you think? Is this kind of a changing of the guard where we saw, you know, this is the end, DJ is no longer the QB at Clemson? Is is this Cade's show now? Well, I'll tell you what, man. Um, Cade Klubnik, I think, is an incredibly talented kid. Um, I believe he's at a Westlake uh, high school um, there in Texas, was a five-star. Um, I don't think he had the hype that Trevor Lawrence had coming to Clemson, but, man, he was pretty dang close just because he's an extremely talented kid, uh, extremely talented quarterback, um, and I think he's got a bright future ahead. Um, I do think DJ, uh, I think post game, I heard, uh, saw an article Dabo did say DJ is still considered the starting quarterback at this point. Um, nonetheless, though, I'd have to say this week in practice, um, you, you know, DJ is going to be feeling the heat 100%. Um, has a five-star freshman, true freshman at that, nipping at his heels. Um, and truthfully, if the offense rolls better with Klubnik at the helm, it's no question that he needs to give the nod. Um, even though experience, even though loyalty, they go towards DJ. You got to get the, you got to put the guy in there who gives you the best chance to win. Um, I still think DJ um, has a shot to maybe regain uh, that locker room. Uh, but nonetheless, I still think Klubnik uh, sky's the limit with that kid um, and truly could be that missing piece in my eyes um, to propelling Clemson to that national championship contender status 
at this point, I don't think DJ is that guy who gives them that national championship presence. I think Klubnik could be that missing link, though. Um, inexperience could hurt him as the season goes on, as they enter that playoff talk, that playoff race. Um, but nonetheless, man, if the kids, if the kids in rhythm, if he's feeling himself out there, give him a shot and see what they can do. You never know. Logan, I gotta ask you. You have uh, been taking the brunt of the heat on TikTok about not respecting Clemson enough. And I, I saw a comment, someone said, well, they're not a top four team, but still look at who they beat. And can you help us understand why Clemson is not legit right now? I mean, sure. If you looked at the rankings of the teams that they've beaten, yeah, you'd be a highly ranked NC State team, Wake Forest, Syracuse. Um, and it, sure, it's impressive, you know, when you look at it. But I think we're getting – they're caught up in the ACC right now. And I think the ACC is just an average conference. And you look at the teams in it, there's some good teams and there's some really, really bad teams um, for the most part. And the big thing I'm thinking now is like, well, what if you threw Clemson in the SEC right now? Clemson would be a 500 team, probably maximum in the SEC. I think there's a lot of teams I would put up, put them against Clemson and say, yeah, I don't think Clemson's rolling with that one because they've had some close games with these teams in the ACC and they just kind of pull it out at the end. I don't think that'd be the case against some of these SEC teams or even the big 10 for um, comparison as well. Uh, the one thing I do worry about though, is if this offense is struggling, what they're going to do with this huge Notre Dame crowd that they get uh 730 kickoff next Saturday. Um, or I'm sorry, is that next Saturday or maybe two Saturdays? Do they have a buy? Um, regardless, that might be a little testing ground to see, what uh, Club Nick does if he can uh, rise to the occasion or if he folds under pressure. Um, it'll be a challenging road game for him. But after that, they're really kind of cruising here. You got Louisville at home, Miami, who's been horrible this year at home, and then South Carolina, who's kind of started the rebound back at home. So I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think they're a playoff team. I think they'd get killed by the top four or even the top five or six um, teams in college football right now. I have my eyes on that South Carolina game because you I know, was just going to say, are hot takes allowed on the show? Oh, man, we are the kings of hot takes. We have hot take segments. If you've got one, wind it up for us, man. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to claim this, but I'm just going to say I think that that November 26th game against South Carolina, that could wind up being a Clemson L. I think South Carolina, I think Shane Beamer is a very bright young coach. I think that they are trending in the right direction, like Logan just said. Spencer Rattler's possibly his final regular season college game in a bitter rivalry game. Man, you never know what to expect in rivalry games. Throw records out the window, throw everything out the window. I would not be the least bit surprised to see South Carolina knock them off at home for that matter. You know, Spencer Rattler, if he wants to get himself back in the NFL quarterback conversation, you know how you do it? You go beat Clemson at Clemson with a D-line with Brian Brzee, Xavier Thomas, and all those guys. 100%. You go throw for some yards and lead your team to a big victory in that atmosphere, somebody's going to take a flyer on you. I could not agree more. You want to talk about some hot takes, some crazy things that happened over the weekend. How about Ole Miss? We were all kind of saying, could Ole Miss come out of the SEC West? Could Ole Miss be the team to keep Alabama from getting to you know the SEC title game? And Ole Miss got their butts handed to them by LSU, 45-20. to 20. Brian Kelly really has LSU going in the right direction with transfer quarterback Jaden Daniels. Daniels played last year at Arizona State. You know, I, 
I'm shocked at how bad the Ole Miss offense looked, and I'm shocked at how quick Brian Kelly has picked up and gotten things going in LSU. Are, Luke, are you surprised at all that LSU is looking this good right now? Well, i got to be honest. Uh, Brian Kelly, I'm just going to just gonna put it out there, not the biggest Brian Kelly fan, but we cannot deny uh, that he is doing something that's pretty, pretty special, given that they – Earlier in the season, people probably looked at this team and probably thought to themselves, you know what, um, the wheels are falling off. He's really done a good job of riding the ship, getting them back on uh, track. I'll tell you what, too, it's hard not to root for and feel good for Jaden Daniels. I've been a huge fan of him since Arizona State. I think he's an extremely talented kid, extremely talented quarterback. Um, and you kind of see what he's doing in a big-time conference like the SEC. It's pretty pretty amazing to see how his entire season's turned around. Maybe his career trajectory, you never know. Um, overall, though, I don't think it's surprising whenever you have to go play in Death Valley, which is, in my opinion, the toughest environment in college football, maybe behind a Penn State wideout game. Uh, Death Valley in Baton Rouge, Louisiana is never an easy environment. Um, and I think Ole Miss, uh, while they have a ton of talent out there, I think Lane Kiffin's done a really good job uh, this year of getting his guys coached up, getting them in a really solid position to contend in the SEC. Um, I don't think we could be very surprised that they went out here and lost. Now, losing by 25 points, that's a pretty large margin of defeat. Um, that's surprising. Nonetheless, though, Brian Kelly, he's got a, he's got a solid resume. Uh, you know he's a good coach. He gets it done. He puts out winning records, puts out solid records year in and year out. And I think at LSU, he's going to continue to build something that's solid. Um, in the SEC, it's going to be tougher than I believe to build up a program than it would be at Notre Dame. Nonetheless, though, man, uh, Jane Daniels and LSU looking good and back in the AP top 25, um, kind of a sneaky team that's kind of got right back, right back in the uh, right back in the fold in that national uh, news mix. So, Logan, I got to ask you, you you put Oregon back in your top 10 this week in your rankings. Oregon, nice win at home against UCLA, 45 to 30. Bo Nix, the Auburn transfer at quarterback, looked pretty good. You know, Dan Lanning, first-year head coach, former defensive coordinator at Georgia. I know Oregon looked terrible week one. Are you buying into that Oregon's that good, or is the rest of the Pac-12 and the rest of college football just beating each other up right now? Well, first I want to start out saying uh, I was not a firm believer in the Ole Miss upsetting Alabama there in the West, but um, and that was one game I circled for Ole Miss to lose. And like I said last week, um, I had only had Ole Miss in the top 10 just because they're an undefeated SEC team. And I thought the Kentucky game they won was just kind of Kentucky's time to do to lose. Um, but, you know, in Oregon, you know, <clears throat> I, I will always say you will never probably see an undefeated Pac-12 team in the playoffs. Um, I don't think ever, it's, at least for the, as long as the Pac-12 still remains. And for one, each team can show up at any given day and win. And Oregon's probably the most consistent team. They've kind of figured it out. Um, I mean, you want to look at their one loss against the defending national champions, Georgia, and a neutral site. And I say that with quotation marks because that was the biggest lie of a neutral site ever. It was basically Georgia's home game. It was a glorified home game. Yeah, right? it was horrible. Yeah. And you get a new head coach in there, and you get a new quarterback in there, and a new offense. I mean, you had a lot of new things in that team. And I don't think they were ready to – respond to that crazy Georgia team. I mean, I think that's exactly what we saw, but they have kind of picked it back together. Um, they picked up the pieces and they've kind of run with it, you know, a uh, big win against BYU. They won by 21 points at, at that time. It was a 12th ranked BYU team. 
they beat Stanford pretty well, which Stanford's a sneaky team in the Pac-12. Uh, big win on the road in Arizona, and then they get, pull off this one against UCLA, who was um, I haven't been a bit big fan of. Um, they were starting to show some life for me the last couple of weeks uh, with their quarterback play because he's been phenomenal and possible Heisman talk um, with his play. But UCLA has struggled at the beginning of the year with some teams that were very beatable, and um, I think it was just UCLA's time to lose. And, yeah, Oregon, I mean – Bo Nix plays the way he did. Um, he's not like the Auburn Bo Nix. That's not what I saw at all in that game. He looked pretty good. And if he can play like that, I think they can work their back way, their way back up into a top five team. Maybe, maybe. Luke, I got to get your take on Logan's team here. Logan has been uh, on the Wake Forest bandwagon. He, in the preseason, said Wake Forest was going to make the college football playoff. That has not materialized. But Wake Forest did have a great showing this weekend against Boston College, beating Boston College 43-15. And I point this out because I know people say Boston College is a bad program. And, you know, yeah, they haven't been as great here lately, but they have a solid head coach and former Ohio State assistant Jeff Halfley, who I have a lot of respect for. I love Boston College's quarterback, Phil Jerkovich. I think Phil Jerkovich is an NFL caliber, maybe not a starter, but a quality backup. I was impressed the fact that the defense held Boston College to 15. Sam Hartman looks like he is back to full strength and just looks great. Are, are you giving Logan any credit for uh, picking Wake Forest to be so successful this year? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, to second what you said, Boston College, um, huge respect for Jeff Halfley. Um, I think he, or Greg Halfley, you know, pardon, I think um, he has done an incredible job and will continue to build a great program up there in Massachusetts. Um, I think that um, nonetheless, though, with Wake Forest, um, I believe their closest call of the season actually came to the Liberty Flames. Um, quick side note, my alma mater, um, huge Buckeye fan, but I went to Liberty University and uh, I'm holding a little uh, little uh, discontent with uh, Wake Forest, just that they, they edged the Flames out by one in overtime, but I got to put biases aside. I think Wake Forest is a good team, I do. Um, now, given the uh, fact that the ACC is kind of a toss-up, um, I think Syracuse, like we mentioned earlier, I think Syracuse uh, really, really is a, um, a solid team. I think that they could be right back in contention, you know, coming come November. Um, obviously, can't write Clemson off. Wake Forest, though, I think that they are truly a wild card. I think they go as far as Sam Hartman could take them. I think they will only – um, only prosper if he is in um, if he is in a really 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 solid um, you know state. So I think as long as Sam Hartman is healthy, as long as he's playing top notch ball, which he was on Saturday, um, I know it's a two and five ball club in Boston College, but nonetheless, I think uh, Wake Forest had a very 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 impressive one at home against a very well coached and disciplined team in Boston College. I am not going to say it's a hot take. Uh, I'm going to say it's a bold take for sure. Uh, by Logan, but I'm not going to say that they cannot uh, be in the ACC championship and possibly hoist an ACC trophy um, when things are all said and done. So excited to see what the Demon Deacons do. Um, and I think that they truly are building, you know, looking ahead to the future, they're building something out there. Uh, they've had they've had continued success here for the last couple of seasons, and it may continue based upon, you know, this most recent success. So I tell you one team that I've been paying a lot of attention to is TCU, the Horned Frogs. Huge win on Saturday over Kansas State, 38-28. And the reason I bring TCU up is they're number seven in the country, and they've quietly gone undefeated with wins against Kansas State, 
Oklahoma State, Kansas, Oklahoma, four straight weeks of top 20 wins. TCU is 7-0. They got games against West Virginia, who has not looked as impressive. I know West Virginia got a solid quarterback there with JT, JT Daniels, the former Georgia Bulldog. Then you get Texas Tech, who's always dangerous because of that high-powered offense. Texas oh, yeah. with Quinn Ewers, who suffered a tough loss. Baylor and Iowa State. Don't sleep on TCU being there undefeated at the end. And what will be interesting is you've got, let's say you've got Ohio State undefeated Big Ten champ. You've got Georgia undefeated SEC champ. You've got Bama who made the SEC title game and maybe they only lose by a field goal to Georgia. You know, does TCU get in? I mean, or do we put a one loss Michigan in if they keep it close with Ohio state or let's say Bama beats Georgia in the SEC title game. Do we put a one loss Georgia, a one loss Bama an undefeated Ohio state? Like, is there room for an undefeated Big 12 TCU to get in? If you get the one-loss Bama or the – yeah, the one-loss Bama and the one-loss Georgia, I mean, you know they're going to throw Bama in there and it'll be sad. I mean, I don't – I don't know. I mean, that's a hard – that's a hard question. Because you would assume they're going to put Clemson in if Clemson goes undefeated wins the ACC. They're going to put the Buckeyes in if they go undefeated and win the Big Ten. And then let's say it's Georgia where it's Tennessee out of the East – and they lose to Bama, but they keep it close. Would they put two one-loss SEC teams in and keep an undefeated Big 12 champ out? I mean, (laughs) depends who you ask. There's a lot of SEC fans out there, and they would say absolutely um, that this Alabama team is better than this TCU team. But, dude, Max Duggins or Max Duggan, absolute beast. The guy has thrown only one pick this year. That's insane. He takes care of the football. And then just as a whole, as an offense, they're just disgustingly good. And like you said, they, they're running through the gauntlet of their season right now, and they've made it – I mean, the Iowa State game was close, but they've done a pretty good job of winning all these, you know. Um, so, I, I like TCU a lot. I mean, in my rankings, I think I put them right under Alabama, right on their heels. Um, so, I don't know. That's a tough question. I, I like TCU a lot. If they can win out, they win out and big, win the Big 12, and they blow – everyone away you know the blow the games they should um i think they're in Luke, what do you if in this scenario let's say clemson goes undefeated they win the acc gotcha Ohio state goes undefeated they win the big 10 you can pick either georgia or tennessee it doesn't matter they're undefeated they win the sec east but they lose to a one loss alabama in the sec title game do you put the undefeated tcu big 12 champion or do you put two one loss sec schools in so this is where it boils down to the argument of is it, and this is what I think the playoff changes each and every year. Um, and I think this is what an 18 playoff is going to help. Are we going to say that the four best teams in the country should be put in the playoff? Or are we going to say it's the four most deserving teams? Because it's an entirely different argument. Um, part of me, uh, you know, I'm like half and half on this. Part of me believes that TCU should get in the playoff, no doubt, if they win out and win the Big 12. They're a Power 5 undefeated conference champion, which to me, no doubt, undoubtedly deserves a spot in the playoff. Um, where they're seated at, where they're ranked at, doesn't really matter. Just let them be in. But another half of me wants to say, you know what? If I put TCU on a field with Alabama, a one-loss Alabama, and one-loss Georgia team, Tennessee, whoever, 
who in the right mind is going to pick TCU to beat one of those three teams? It's really hard for me to pick that game. It's really hard for me to pick against an, a one-loss SEC, um, you know, dominant, um, really I mean, great resume. I and mean, we're talking about TCU. They have a great resume as well. But, man, if you're putting a team like TCU against a Tennessee, Alabama, or Georgia, who in the right mind is going to pick TCU? If you do pick TCU, props to you. You're bold. I would not personally pick them. But, you know, part of me putting, you know, two SEC teams in, even if there's an undefeated TCU team, it is kind of fascinating because that would definitely bring up the entire argument about SEC bias, which we're all, you know, used to. Um, it would really be a fascinating dilemma. Um, nonetheless, I think TCU, though, if they went out, it would be next to impossible to keep them out as an undefeated Power 5 champion. So, I want to transition here because the NFL has just as much we've got to hit on. Starting today with the news that Matt Ryan is done for the year, they're saying it's due to a shoulder sprain. We can all read between the lines. It's because he's thrown nine interceptions in seven games and had 11 fumbles. He's being benched for Sam Ellinger. And a lot of people have said, I can't believe they're benching Matt Ryan. He's played pretty well. You know, I know the turnovers look bad, but he's also, you know, he just broke the completion record for the Indianapolis Colts in a single game just last week. So how are you benching them? This has nothing to do with Matt Ryan's play. They're going to say it was on the turnovers. They're going to say it was a shoulder sprain. It has literally zero to do with Matt Ryan's play. It has to do with the fact that the Indianapolis Colts are the third best team in the AFC South. They have absolutely no chance of making the playoffs. And so the Colts are looking at this as we're not going to make the playoffs. We know Matt Ryan's not the future at quarterback. Sam Ellinger's done some nice things. He beat out Nick Foles recently for the number two spot. So let's see what we have in Sam Ellinger. Do we have anything that's worth rolling with in the future? Or do we just, you know, take a wash on the rest of the year and try and be in position to maybe not get a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud, but be in a position to get this second tier of quarterback, whether it be a Will Levis or, you know, whoever they may like, I think this has more to do with evaluating Sam Ellinger and seeing what they have in him than it has anything to do with Matt Ryan's play. Logan, were you surprised when the Colts, you know, announced that Ryan was done for the year? No, and I think it just bites at a bigger issue that the Colts have been trying to do for the last couple of years, and that's just like a patchwork job at quarterback, you know, trying to throw in just a guy to manage the game for him um, and bring in these veterans like Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan, and it's just not it. Their time's up and over. And they brought him in, and they have a really good team surrounding them, offense and defense, but they're missing that crucial guy at quarterback to lead them. And I, I'm not surprised. I mean, I, I'm I'm ready to see what Sam Ellinger can do. Um, you know, coming out of Texas, uh, I thought at least he should get a shot somewhere, um, and it looks like he's going to get it this year. And I like how they put I mean, he's indefinitely the starter for the rest of the year um, for being any injury or not. So – no surprise at all, and I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what happens because, I mean, if they find their guy, I mean, they still might have a season, but I don't know. Luke, I got to ask you, did yeah. you – do you, A, have confidence in Sam Ellinger? He had a great career at Texas, really with some underperforming Texas teams. Do you have confidence in Sam Ellinger as an NFL quarterback, and do you think this is it for Matt Ryan's career? Well, you know, to answer your first question, um, and just to admit that I'm kind of eating crow, um, Sam Ellinger getting to the point he's at, I think has proved, definitely proved me wrong, uh, as I'm sure he's proved other people wrong. Uh, coming out, you know, I was like, Sam Ellinger, he's that guy at Texas, had a good career, 
Um, definitely had an extended college career. I'm like, you know what? If this guy makes the NFL, he's going to be a backup at best. Uh, maybe we'll never make it off. Probably bounce between practice squad type of guy. Um, and to you know, to put it just blatantly, he has blown me away with where he's at now. Props to the guy. He's worked his tail off to get to where he is. And I think he honestly has potential. Um, and let's not, you know, let's let's not uh, beat around the bush here. I think that Indianapolis, um, while they may be out of the playoff race this year, um, could very well, with that new blood under center, um, with some offensive weapons, uh, by no means are they looking like, you know, a Buffalo Bills, uh, Kansas City Chiefs um, offensively talented uh, roster. But, hey, Michael Pittman, I'm a firm believer in him. Jonathan Taylor, um, just need to give him the ball, and I think the sky's the limit for him. Um, who knows, man? Who knows what they could do? Maybe we'll see a once-in-a-lifetime type of turnaround. Um, and the Colts could really write the ship here and maybe contend for a wild-card spot. You know, and Toby, as you, your second question, uh, to address it, I think that we have maybe seen Matt Ryan um, take his last, you know, start under center in the NFL. I think age has finally caught up to him. You know, that old saying about age is undefeated. I think that um, it is knocking. Um, and I think Matt Ryan is at a point where, um, he has felt the pressure and he has now uh, crumbled underneath that pressure. Um, honestly, tons of respect for the guy. Uh, in my opinion, one of the most underrated quarterbacks to do it. I know he's Jekyll and Hyde at times. I know he's had seasons where he looks like an all time great and he's had moments where he looks very pedestrian. Nonetheless, though, a great quarterback, great career. And if this is it for him, um, he can go out with his head held high, knowing that he had a solid career and, you know, should be in the Hall of Fame one day. You know, another quarterback situation I want to react to, you know, the Monday Night Football game is still going on right now. It's about five minutes left in the third quarter. The Bears are up on the Pats, 23-14. You know, and Mac Jones started this game. And Mac Jones got pulled pretty early. It was a short leash. He went three of six, 13 yards, an interception. He, you know, ran for 24 yards on three carries. But they pulled him and brought Bailey Zappi back in. Zappi's gone five of seven. 109 yards and a touchdown, um, a 153.3 quarterback rating since coming back in. You know, I want to compare this situation to the Robert Griffin III situation when he was in Washington. RG3 looked really good his rookie year. One rookie of the year had that injury. Well, if you remember that same draft that they took RG3 number two overall, they took another quarterback in the fourth round by the name of Kirk Cousins. And Cousins sat behind RG3, and when RG3 got hurt, Cousins came in, and he never looked back. And what I wonder is, did Mac Jones, you know, we got to find out that maybe Mac Jones wasn't 100% healthy. And maybe Bill Belichick saw, hey, Mac's not healthy right now. He's coming back too early. We need to get him out of here. But don't be surprised if Bailey Zappi is pulling a Kirk Cousins right now. Bailey Zappi had a phenomenal one-year starting season at Western Kentucky after transferring from Houston Baptist. Bailey Zappi has a lot of talent. Um, he slid in the fourth round because there was a lot of unknown with him. There wasn't a talent issue. It was a could he replicate what he did in one year at Western Kentucky against better competition. And clearly there's a lot there to like. Don't be surprised if Bailey Zappi is the starter of the New England Patriots, not just next week, but next season. And with that, I got to ask Logan, if this is Bailey Zappi's team, if Mac Jones is on the sidelines, Logan, do you think that a team like Carolina, a team like Washington, if you're them, are you calling? Are you picking up the phone and asking what does it cost to get Mac Jones? I think it's a little early in that. I don't think the Patriots would deal um, 
deal him out right right now. Um, granted, Billy, Bailey Zappi's only played a couple of games, um, but Bailey, Bailey Zappi was one guy I circled that in the draft that I was excited to see, and I think New England was the best fit possible for him, honestly. Um, but, I mean, anytime you throw 50 touchdowns in your senior year at Western Kentucky, I mean, you just – you have something special going on with you. So – I like him a lot, and he's doing something, but I want to focus on a little bit on the quarterback on the other side. Justin Fields kind of picking up his play. I mean, they're in the third quarter right now. We're filming this Monday night. I mean, he's 11 for 19, one touchdown, one interception. He's the leading rusher with 13 carries and 83 yards, averaging 6.4 yards a carry with a touchdown. If you would put that stat line against an NFL running back, you would think they're having a great night, but that's the quarterback running the ball as well. And I watched the first quarter, you know, and he, he was just hitting guys. He was driving down the field. They drove down two times, uh, should have scored the second, the first time, but they kicked the field goal. And then he puts it in the second time. I mean, he's looked really good this game. Um, so hopefully it's a consistent thing that he can keep doing. But this is a Justin Fields that I think the Chicago Bears know they can get, but it's getting that every week and, and, and seeing that. Luke, I got to ask you. You brought this, you know, you you let me know that you put in a trade for this guy as soon as the news broke. But, you know, the New York Jets unfortunately lose rookie sensation running back Brees Hall for the rest of the year with a torn ACL. It's a bummer because Brees was doing everything I knew he would do. I felt confident that Brees Hall was the best running back in the draft. And that's even with a guy like Kenneth Walker coming out of Michigan State. I loved Brees Hall at Iowa State. Um, it's upsetting that he tore his ACL. But you talk about a home run that the New York Jets have in that front office. This front office, I am in love with. You know, don't sulk that you lose Brees Hall because the New York Jets just traded for James Robinson, a guy who had ran for 1,000 yards with the Jacksonville Jaguars in a season, has had a lot of success. He just got beat out by a first-round pick in Travis Etienne. Luke, why are you so excited about James Robinson with the Jets? Yeah, man, I cannot smash the uh, like button enough on it. You know what I mean? Like, I think James Robinson, we, like you said, man, we quickly forget a thousand yard rusher and incredibly talented uh, back out of Louisiana Lafayette. Um, and they got him late, uh, I believe, in the 20, within the 2020 draft, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, six round um, pick. Yeah, yeah. And so, honestly, a guy who comes in um, really turns some heads and produced some really solid uh, numbers, not just, you know, in the box, not in the box score, but man, fantasy wise, he was in an awesome fantasy asset. His rookie year um, came in coming into this year. I think everyone thought ETN was going to be the guy right out of the gates, had a really good uh, grasp on that job. ETN obviously eventually got a grasp on the job and now ETN's looking really good in Jacksonville. Um, so I'm really happy though, that James Robinson's kind of getting a second shot to prove himself once again in this Jets team that has really turned some heads. And I think with James Robinson, with that acquisition, uh, Robert Sala and the entire um, organization are proving, you know what, we lost our rookie phenom, but we are not going anywhere. We're going to go all in right here and we're going to see what we, we're going to see what we can do. So I think James Robinson here in a few weeks, we're going to see um, really what all the hype is about that we quickly forgot about. Um, and I think as long as James Robinson is healthy, Michael Carter is not a bad complimentary back as well. Really good receiving back and, you know, can, can get carries here and there. I think the Jets are proving and showing, you know what, they're not pretenders. They're really trying to push to that contender status. Um, even if people are writing them off, um, I think that they are really showing up and showing out. 
and, you know, showing that they're not going to go away, even though they've lost their rookie phenom. So, you know, I want to talk about some other quarterback situation and I want to look at the Carolina Panthers and Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. You know, Carolina started PJ Walker, former XFL standout and PJ Walker did so good that interim head coach, Steve Wilkes has come out and said, Hey, PJ is going to keep starting for us because, you know, to be quite honest, Baker Mayfield is showing us why the Browns traded for Deshaun Watson and, you know, Sam Darnold, I'm convinced he probably still sees ghost from his time with the New York Jets. So PJ Walker's the guy in Carolina, but what the reason I want to focus on this game is because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are just downright disappointing. You only managed to put up three points. And I, I do want to preface if there's one thing the Panthers have going for them, it's their defense. I know they traded away Christian McCaffrey. I know it looks like they're rebuilding starting PJ Walker at quarterback, having Chuba Hubbard at running back But Chuba was a sensation of a running back at Oklahoma state. PJ Walker had a great career at temple was an XFL standout. The defense is legit though. You got Derek Brown, former Auburn standout. You got Brian Burns. There's a reason the Panthers are turning down two first round picks for Brian Burns. He's just that special. You've got a secondary that's got some talent. You know, there's a lot of question marks there. JC Horn, former first round pick CJ Henderson, you know, You've got guys like Jeremy Chin in that secondary. There's a lot of talent on this Carolina defense. I know that it's not a slouch, but the fact that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers only put up three points, no offensive touchdowns. Logan, I got to ask you, is it time for Brady to hang it up? Has father time caught up to Tom Brady? Mm, I don't know. It's a hard one. It seems to be that way. It's also hard to judge whether this is just the uh, um, impact of having so many injuries on your team, you know, where, I mean, like the second stringer basically like, I mean, that's what I'm used to watching now on that team. They've had so many injury issues. I mean, Tom Brady went 32 for 49 with 290 yards um, sacked only once. So, I mean, not a horrible stat line, but the fact that you don't score at all is disappointing. Uh, The rushing game was almost non-existent. I mean, they had 46 rushing yards. Um, So, not to nothing there to bail him out, but I, I don't know. It, I don't, it, I think it depends on how he finishes this year out. Um, I think the one thing with see. it, I think the one thing with it that's so hard is Brady's been on like they, they've almost had two sets of standards. You know, Brady got 11 days off during training camp, Brady hasn't had to be as bought in as everybody else. And while Brady's numbers maybe don't look as bad, his leadership, that quality that we always knew, you know. When he was in New England, he had guys like, you know, I mean, he was throwing the ball to guys like Aaron Dobson, Taylor Price. Like, if anybody can tell me where Aaron Dobson played his college ball, hats off to you. Luke, don't answer because I'm, I, I I can see you going, I got it. Everybody knows Taylor Price, Ohio Bobcat, man. But listen, he was not throwing to talented guys the entire time he was in New England. He's, he had a lot of patchwork offensive line work late in his career at New England running backs that would not have started at other places, but he still got it done because he had that leadership quality. He was hundred percent bought in. He's not that way in Tampa Bay. I know he's got a lot of off the field stuff going on. I'm just not convinced he's as bought in. And that's why I kind of think if you're not bought in, hang it up, man. You know, you've had a great career. You're, you're, you're under 500. Just, I, I, I'm not saying walk away in the middle of the year, but this needs to be his final year. And I want to talk about another quarterback who it needs to be their final year. Logan, you were confident in saying the Green Bay Packers were going to be bad this year because they didn't have wide receivers. Um, I love Alan Lazard. I have him on my fantasy team. I love him a lot less right now because 
I also have AJ Dillon on my fantasy team. And uh, AJ, if you listen, you're probably going to get benched, my guy. I, <laughs> I, I need more help than 1.8 points. So I got to start with you, Luke. Are the Packers done? Is this now Minnesota's division? Well, you know, condolences, I guess, to you, you know, Toby, you and I both. Um, I completely bought into the uh, Romeo Dobbs hype. Uh, I just made a trade actually a couple weeks ago, tried to buy low on Aaron Rodgers. Um, I got him as my starting quarterback now. And I'm like, you know what? Let me pick Dobbs up of the waiver wire and we'll see. Maybe he'll turn into wide receiver one in Green Bay. Uh, that looks like it's probably not going to come to fruition. Uh, maybe at least at this point, maybe down the road as the season progresses. Uh, nonetheless, though, man, I think um, it is Minnesota's to lose. And when you look at that offensive firepower, uh, I think they are finally getting the hang of that new offense. Um, I think that Kirk Cousins is finally coming to his own a little bit. Justin Jefferson is proving why he was going off in many people's eyes. Uh, number one, wide receiver off the board, because he is, in my opinion, the best wide receiver in the NFL. Um, I think Justin Jefferson is just proving his worth. Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison, both looking good. And also, too, Adam Thielen coming into his own. And uh, K.J. Osborne really turned some heads. He's been a nice bailout and depth piece for Kirk Cousins and company up there. The defense, I think, is good enough to get it done and win some games. But I must say, if there's anything that we have learned, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, you can't count them out. You cannot count them out. And this upcoming Sunday night, if Aaron Rodgers comes out, writes the ship, and somehow, someway knocks off the Buffalo Bills on Sunday night football, I think we will be quick to say, you know what, maybe we are overreacting a little bit. I think Sunday night, it just has that feeling, doesn't it? It has that feeling that the Packers – Everyone stacked against him. I think for the first time in Aaron Rodgers' entire career as a starting quarterback, he's a double-digit underdog. It just feels like everyone's counting them out at the wrong time. And it may, 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 may just turn out to be that the Packers pull it out on Sunday night, turn the season around. And, it, I mean, what a better opportunity than to do it on Sunday night football. So, I will tell you, I want to give some props to the Washington Commanders. You win the game against Green Bay 23-21 with backup quarterback Taylor Heineke in. I love Taylor Heineke. Again, former XFL standout. Uh, he didn't have the greatest game. 20-33, 201 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. But he's just so gritty. That final first down completion to Terry McLaurin to win the game. Kenny Clark is barreling in on him, and Kenny Clark is about to knock him into next week. Heineke doesn't care. He takes the shot, delivers a ball that, well, yeah, it was kind of a 50-50 ball. He had the confidence in his number one guy, and you can see it. Washington, the rest of that football team, they rally around his confidence, his demeanor. He, I just love watching him play. Logan, I got to let you gloat a little bit, man. You have been on the Danny Dimes train all year. You've been telling us Danny Dimes is going to earn a second contract. We've had people say that you're crazy. I've had Giants fans tell me they don't agree with you. The New York Giants are 6-1. and one. They beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 23-17. Now, mind you, the Jaguars were three-point favorites in this game. And you're going to say, well, yeah, but you only beat a 2-5 and five Jacksonville team by six points. But Daniel Jones goes 19-30, 202 yards, a touchdown, no turnovers. And the crazy thing about Daniel Jones' stats, I know he didn't lead the team in rushing because Saquon Barkley had 110 yards. Daniel Jones had 107 rushing yards on 13 fewer rushing attempts than Saquon Barkley. Logan, how did you know that Daniel Jones was just going to tap into this 
unforeseen talent. You know how hard it was to like hold off on just gloating about this Daniel. I mean, like I've been sitting here this entire episode, just waiting for you to mention the giants. Dude, Daniel Jones is exactly what we wanted to see. He's <laughs> doing everything they wanted him to do. He's got Saquon Barkley back. He is the great duo with him. Dude, they are really coming together as an offense and as a team, honestly, on both sides of the ball. Um, and they're looking great. Um, I mean, what can you say? Daniel Jones is just doing what he needs to do. QBR of 87. Um, and like you said, I mean, he ran for 107 yards. That's crazy. You would never – you. You look at Daniel Jones and you would never expect him to be a running quarterback, but he knows when to run. He's doing really well that. And a big thing, zero interceptions. He's taking care of the ball. Um, huge turnaround for what he's shown the last few years. And I heard a take today, and I'm not taking credit for it, but it would make sense. And even if he doesn't get a contract extension, they still have that franchise option or franchise tag option. And actually thinking about it, I'm like, I could kind of see that. I could see the franchise tag coming on him and then not paying him. Um but right now he's looking really good, and hey, the Giants are six and one. And folks, don't discredit that franchise tag. That's a fully guaranteed. I know it's a one-year prove-it deal, but it's fully guaranteed money. And for a guy like Daniel Jones to get to be a starter one more year and avoid having to do what Marcus Mariota did, having to be a backup for a couple of years before you get your shot again, definitely worth it. Logan, I want to rain on your parade a little bit because I'm going to tell you right now: the Giants are going to lose next week. They play Seattle, and Geno Smith is comeback player of the year. Geno Smith for president. Geno Smith for everything right now, man. He has got the Seattle Seahawks at first place in the NFC West. At four and three, he took every future first-round pick the Denver Broncos could ever have, and he still gave Russell Wilson two flying birds on the way out the door and said, I'm a better quarterback than you. They go, they beat the Los Angeles Chargers. He outduels Justin Herbert. I Geno Smith for president right now, man. Luke, I, I want to end the episode. You are our guest, so I want to end the episode. You get one hot take for this upcoming weekend. It can be college. It can be NFL. Give us one hot take for this upcoming weekend. Oh, golly, man. Um, that's, that's a heavy question. Um, you know what? My hot take, I'm just going to harp back on it. I think somehow, some way, Aaron Rodgers writes the ship, and I think the Green Bay Packers beat Buffalo in Orchard Park on Sunday Night Football. I don't know how they're going to get it done. I don't know, you know, I don't know if it's going to be run heavy. I don't know if it's going to be Aaron Rodgers finally finding his guy that he clicks with. I just have a gut feeling they're going to do it, and they're going to do what it takes to knock off Buffalo, who, in my opinion, is probably the best shot to win the whole entire thing this year and hoist that Lombardi trophy. I just That's where I got to go. My heart's still there. I believe in Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, reigning MVP. Um, and it's hard for me to pick against him in prime time. But if I stand corrected, you know what? They're called hot takes for a reason. So that's where I'm going to go. Hot take Packers on Sunday Night Football beating Buffalo on the road. I, I'm not going to bash it. If the Packers can figure out the offensive line, if they can kick Elton Jenkins back into guard, Bakhtiari gets healthy, he plays left tackle, and they can establish the running game. They can get the two-headed monster of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon going. They could control the clock and keep Josh Allen on the sideline. I, I'm not going to bash it. We'll have to have you come back on and maybe do some revisionist history if it doesn't look good. But, folks, <laughs> that's all we've got for you guys this time. Like I always tell you guys, rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. Until next time, we'll see you guys later. Have a good one.